Hey everybody, and Merry Christmas, or Happy Hanukkah, or whatever holiday you choose to celebrate. This is episode 67 of, I sound so certain, (laughs) Tales of the Justice Society of America. And we are presenting our very first Christmas-themed episode. With me, as always, is the man that says to people who criticize Christmas, hey, I will scrooge your ass in a heartbeat, Mr. (laughs) Scott Gardner. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, episode whatever you said the number was, and uh, I can't believe it's taken us this long to get around to doing a commentary for the Star Wars Christmas special. This is going to be awesome. I, I, I am looking, I mean, at what, what I'm surprised is that you're doing it again. <laughs> uh, but I guess... Oh, that's is, right, I already did this, didn't I? I forgot. This, I guess it's kind of like the ring. If you share it with me, then you, the little girl won't come out of your TV and kill you. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. You've never seen The Ring? I have yeah. not seen The Ring. The movie scared Well, I saw The Ring on collar once, but you know, that's a <laughs> different story. But then you used uh, Whisk, and it got ring around the collar and your whole laundry clean. I just shouted it out. I'm damn good at that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this is our first Christmas episode. I'm really surprised. I would have figured we would have done one of these by now. I mean, we did a Back to the Bins. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And this has kind of got a back to the bins flavor to it. It since does. We're not, since we're not covering All Star Squadron. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it's uh, it's uh, I'm pretty excited. I like uh, I'm a big fan of the the Christmas episodes, and this will be three in two days. So, <laughs> well, you know, you, I think you had said it best the other night. Was it last night when we were recording yep. that? Uh, you know, th- this episode could honestly go under either banner. It could be yep. either a back to the bins or a tales. So, you know, this this is almost a crossover. We're like crossing over with ourselves, which is mighty strange. <laughs> <laughs> Special guest stars us. So. <laughs> So you you ready for Christmas yet? Um, I am and I'm not. I mean, I have been trying to to be upbeat and and everything, but, you know, a lot of it is... um, See, I don't even know how to talk about this with sounding like I'm complaining. And then, you know, the the next thing you know, I'll be getting emails going, oh, my God, I can't believe this guy is complaining about this. But, you know, I've been just super, super busy with work, of which I am not complaining about. But the downside is I just haven't had really time to enjoy the season. And it hit me that, you know, as we sit down to record this, you know, this is the the evening of, you know, the, the very, very late evening or early morning, I guess you could say. Uh, you know, it's late evening of the 22nd, early morning of the 23rd. I mean, in, in literally just less than 48 hours, it's Christmas already. You know, and I, I never, you know, I never got a chance to get over to like the studios and see the Osborne lights. You know, I haven't really, I, there's so many things that have come to mean Christmas to me that I just haven't had time to do this year. And I fear I'm, I'm going to, I'm pretty much going to miss them because I'm the kind of guy, and once Christmas is done, it's done. You know, once Christmas Day is over, I'm not one to continue with Christmas. You know what I mean? So it's not like I'm going to rush out and catch the stuff that I missed. If I missed it, I missed it. You know, that's 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 it. Because, 
you know, as we had talked about last night, Christmas comes in like what, like late May now, you know? So by the time (laughs) December 25th rolls around, I'm, I'm ready to be done with Christmas. And that's not that I'm down on it. I mean, I love Christmas. It's just okay enough already, you know? So I, 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 I'm going to, I know things are going to end up sliding by the wayside this Christmas. And that kind of bums me out because I, I did look forward to these things, but I just, I haven't been able to make the time to do them. But we did go to, uh, to Epcot a few nights ago. I took my wife there and we went and, and saw the uh, candlelight processional for the first time. And that was amazing. I, I'd never seen it before. I really didn't know what to expect. Wasn't sure I was going to dig it. You know, I wasn't sure if it was really for me. But it was really, it was awesome. I, I enjoyed it very much. And that, you know, you talk about Christmas spirit. That was just nothing but Christmas spirit. So I, I got my Christmas fix there, I think. Well, as I, I think I mentioned in the Views Christmas episode that we recorded last night, Rachel and I and my father and stepmother went to Callaway Gardens mm-hmm. here in Georgia, which is one of the, you know, one of those... You sit there and you're basically in a little trolley car being pulled by a by a pickup truck, but they got like this huge light uh, display, and and some of them are absolutely gorgeous because they put them near little man-made lakes. Mm-hmm. So at night, when it's dark, you see the lights, and then you see the reflection of the lights in the water. So you get this double effect, and the little trolley cars we were in have plexiglass like windshields right so when you're passing through you're seeing the lights in front of you and then you're seeing the reflection of the lights from behind you as well so it actually it actually ended up being pretty stunning um they wanted six dollars for a corn dog and to that i said no right uh i (laughs) wanted a corn dog i didn't want to pay six dollars for it so (laughs) though uh it was a nice drive out there too Rachel and I, uh, where is that at? Because I, I was trying to remember if I'd ever done that. I think we had wanted it's, to do that, it's and like just near Columbus. Did. Okay, yeah, I don't, I don't think I ever did make it there. I think we always wanted to go, and just for whatever reason, just never, never did make it there. But I've heard nothing but good things about it. Yeah, it was a, that, that was a lot of fun, and that was that that got us into kind of the the holiday, the Yule, and the Christmas spirit, and we. Um, we have uh, plans that Christmas Eve we're going to just kind of lay around the house until we're having dinner. And then on Christmas Day, we're just going to open presents and watch Christmas movies all day. That's so cool. That'll, that'll put me in the holiday spirit. Plus, the, the front room is finally cleaned up again. And uh, that was nice that I got <laughs> that done because, wow. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm one of these people that if it's not cleaned up, I I get kind of freaked out. Yeah, I'm like that too. So. (laughs) I'm not necessarily like a clean freak, but I'm definitely like an organization freak. Everything Mm -hmm. has to have, you know, everything has to be in its place. A a place for everything and everything everything in in its its place. place. Exactly. (laughs) Yes, that is very much me. And I get all antsy if it's not so. So, uh, but we, uh... We do have one comic to cover this time out, and when you mentioned doing this for this issue, th- this episode, I was like, "Well, that's cool because we never got to that Brave and the Bold issue mm-hmm. um, because we had been trying to cover like all of the Earth Two 
appearances in Brave and the Bold. Right. And I thought for sure that I had this issue because I thought I had bought all of the Earth, at least in my Brave and the Bold collection, that I had all of the Earth 2 related ones. So when I went looking for this in both my little stack of All-Star Squadrons that I have out for the show that I have like the Infinity Incorporated mixed into so that I can just grab that when we're ready to do it. Wasn't there. Looked at my Brave and the Bold section of my Batman books. Wasn't there. And I'm like, did I ever have this? So you sent it to me, thankfully. And then I'm like, oh, it's a it's a Christmas story. I mm-hmm. get it. I'm like, that is awesome. Scott's <laughs> clever. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> so, so... Uh, my wife just said we let him think that um, and uh, it was a really good story I was impressed this I'm was glad a, you liked it this this was a this was a really great to cover I'm, I'm glad you thought to do it and I'm glad our we, I'm glad both of us were busy enough this week that doing a full out for t- tales just didn't work out well, I've been wanting to get to this one for a while because this honestly is one of my favorite Batman stories. You know, the, the Christmas element aside, I just like this story. I've always mm-hmm. liked this story a whole lot. You know, I was only ever a, a very selective and very spotty uh, uh, Brave and the Bold uh, buyer or, you know, reader at, at best. You know, I only got the issues that that really jumped off the stands or, you know, featured a character, you know, beyond just Batman, you know, the, the team up character that I really cared for. But this was one of the issues I remember buying off the stands and, and just, I've always really enjoyed this story because there's so many elements of this, that this encaps encapsulates Batman to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, definitely. Uh, I mean, I, it's, it, it's, a, it's an iconic story almost. It is. It is very much so. And really, this would have been this would have been cool if it had come out just a little bit earlier than Len Wein could have added it into the Untold Legend of Batman. It almost feels like a fourth chapter of that to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was thinking the entire time I was reading this. And, uh, well, I guess we can get into the specifics of it uh, after we do the synopsis. Sure. We're, we're threatening to do all of our notes right here in the beginning. <laughs> Well, I uh, I will uh, beg the audience's uh, pardon right off the bat, and and in the in the interest of full disclosure, I do not have a pre prepared synopsis for this one. Um, so forgive me if I if I stumble just a bit, but we're going very much back to the bin style in this. So this is uh, the Brave and the Bold number one eighty four. This is the March nineteen eighty two uh, cover dated issue. Beautiful, beautiful cover on this by Jim Aparo. This is honestly one of my favorite mm. Batman covers ever. And this issue is starring Batman and the Huntress. And I was trying to remember, one of the reasons I've always liked this cover a lot is I like the Huntress logo in this. And I was trying to remember if we've seen this logo before. I think this actually was the the logo for the Huntress solo feature that was a backup was in Wonder too. Woman. But I like the way it looks here. It has like a sheen to it, like a gloss type thing to it. And I, I really like how it looks on this cover. But the cover is fantastic. It's uh, Bruce Wayne is pulling off the cowl of the Batman and holding it in one of his hands. And he's got his fist, his other fist is balled up. 
And it's this great night. So it's a very creepy scene in this snow covered cemetery. And there's a full moon behind him and wisps of clouds in the sky. So like a very like slate gray, like, you know, threatening snow kind of sky. And you can just tell that it's it's cold. It's a winter night. And he's at the graves of his parents, Martha and Thomas Wayne. And the huntress is cowered in the background, hiding behind another tombstone. And Batman is yelling at his parents' graves and saying, my parents deserve to die. And the Batman must die as well. And then down at the bottom, it says, a different kind of Yuletide tale, the Batman's last Christmas. And that just sets the stage. You know, it's it's a great, great cover. I love Aparo's Batman. Aparo's Batman is my Batman. And this is just a fantastic cover. And uh, I was noting, I think for the first time today, that uh, I, I think it's just supposed to be an artistic thing. But the the fist that Batman is holding the cowl with, the way he's got his hand cocked back, it's it's causing like wrinkles in his glove. Mm-hmm. But it actually looks a lot like the Keaton gloves. In, yeah. You know, Michael, ba- you know, Michael Keaton's Batman. I, I just noticed that and I thought that was kind of interesting. They have also decided for this picture that the the mask and the the cape and the cowl are connected, mm-hmm. where that's all over the place. Yep. In the actual Batman comics, one issue there'll be two separate pieces, and then the next issue it'll be one piece. Mm-hmm. So, yep. So I agree. I always thought that was weird too. Like you think somebody in editorial would have made a decision <laughs> and stuck with it, but I guess I guess we're go no go on that one. So. <laughs> Well, so the story starts at the Gotham Children's Home, and it's a it's a beautiful winter night. It's all snowy, and there's snow, you know, great big snowflakes falling down, and there's snow covering all over the uh, Gotham's Children's Home. Inside the the Gotham's Children's Home, we're we're seeing just this sad sight of these poor little kids, these poor little orphan kids, and there's a little girl, and she's playing with a looks like a raggedy Andy, and He's missing an eye and he's missing a hand. There's a little boy playing with a looks like a little airplane, but it's all busted up. And this old lady who I guess, you know, would be like the caretaker. Uh, she's watching over the kids and she just has a sad look on her face. I mean, it's just a sad scene. And suddenly there's a tap at the door and she goes and answers the door and there's a giant uh, gray bag at the door. And the next panel is the kids tearing into the bag and there's all these Christmas presents inside the bag. And the old lady steps out onto the front porch and looks up into the sky and she's standing in the shadow of the bat and looking up into the sky and just saying, you know, in very small words, I imagine like a very small voice. She's just saying, thank you. And what a wonderful open to it. I just love this page. This, you know, cause it's a totally, except for her. Thank you. It's a totally silent page. It reminds me a lot of, uh, years later when, when Byrne would have the silent issue that, you know, the many deaths of Batman chapter one was, an, it was an all silent issue except for two words and very reminiscent of this, I think. And I, I love that. And that was also illustrated by, uh, by Apero. So our story starts, after this part, um, on the rooftop of uh, police headquarters, where Commissioner Gordon's out with uh, with uh, what's this guy's name, Haggerty, another you know just a, a beat cop, and they're freezing their butts off and they're waiting for Batman. 
And Haggerty's trying to convince the commissioner to come in out of the coal because it doesn't look like Batman's coming. And Commissioner Gordon says, he'll come, Haggerty. He always comes. And, of course, with that, there's the Batman. He shows up. And they go in. I really like there's a, a nice little moment between Batman and Gordon where Gordon's worried about his job because in the regular Bat titles, there was something going on at the time where they had switched mayors or something like that. Yes. It, it looked like – Gordon was going to be out of a job because the new mayor was not supportive of Batman and things like that and wasn't supportive of Gordon and his reliance on Batman. And there's a really nice moment between these two where you really get the sense that these guys are friends. You know, this isn't just a simple, you know, working relationship that they that they really do respect and uh, and have, you know, feelings for each other. And I really like that moment of Batman, you know, quietly lending his support for Gordon. So Gordon has called Batman because there's this thing with this mobster. Um, well, do you remember what the deal was with this? That the guy was going to turn state's evidence or something, yep. and then somebody made off with the records before he could turn it in. Was that yes. was that what the, okay? So the Batman knows, or I thought this was a bit of a leap in logic, but he imagines as the guy that stole the records that he's probably wearing some sort of disguise. And carrying something large to carry the records in. Well, of course, this being like Christmas or you know, right around Christmas time, what's the guy going to be disguised as? He's disguised as Santa Claus. I was <laughs> going to guess the Easter Bunny. <laughs> so you've got these great, really awesome apparel-drawn panels of Batman actually <laughs> pursuing Santa Claus. It's pretty cool. In the meantime, the on top of uh, a nearby building, one of the... Uh, uh, JSA or excuse me, Justice League transporter tubes activates, and suddenly who shows up? But the Huntress. Which you know, I didn't even think about this till now. Does this mean she actually beamed into this specific spot, or did she beam into the satellite and then from the satellite to this spot? It never really does explain that. It almost looks like she materializes straight from Earth 2 right to this transporter tube, but I don't think it works that way. I'm pretty sure she went through the transmatter cube in the JLA satellite mm -hmm. and then used which was kind of a cool idea that I had forgotten about that in all of the hometown of the JLAers that there's this transporter tube that has a warping field around it that's in, it's invisible until right. you use it so that they can get to the um the Justice League faster you would think that Batman would have it in the Batcave. Right. <laughs> instead of probably a Wayne-owned building, I'm sure. Right. But that uh, no, was really cool to have her come in this way. Yeah, I like this part of the story. She's, uh, she's you know, missing her, her father, um, you know, who was the Earth 2 Bruce Wayne. So she's decided to come to Earth 1 to spend Christmas with who she calls Uncle Bruce, which I still think is a very awkward dynamic. And we get the, uh, you know, the absolutely required explanation of the, you know, the two Earths and the different vibrational frequencies and all that. But I like that in this one because we get, you know, representing Earth One, we get the Barry Allen Flash, the Hal Jordan Green Lantern, and Aquaman looking like he can fly because he, like, has fire, like, green fire coming out of his waist. It's, it's actually pretty <laughs> cool. But And then the parallels are interesting because the Earth Two parallels, we have the Jay Garrick Flash 
the uh, Alan Scott Green Lantern, and then the parallel for Aquaman is Doctor Fate, huh? Uh, well, I, I think I think at some point Shag, the irredeemable Shag, went back in time and chose these <laughs> because I'm I'm gonna get in trouble for this. Who since they're really uh, until All Star Squadron wasn't an Earth Two Aquaman? Who is the parallel to a character that isn't all that popular but is always on a team oh uh, and that would be dr fate oh now, i like both char- i say that as a fan of both characters but sometimes you gotta speak the truth i like aquaman a heck of a lot more than i like uh, dr fate i gotta be honest but i mean well, i don't, don't dislike dr fate either you don't like inza you like Doctor Fate, you just hate the fact that I don't like magic. Is... That's that's really my <laughs> issue is I don't like I don't like the whole magic aspect. I, I wish he'd he'd had a, a different gimmick, but anyway, so that's why uh Huntress has showed up. And she actually turns up just in the nick of time because we cut back to Batman and he's actually caught up with Santa Claus and he slaps him around a bit and then I'm gonna get back to that by the way. That's actually a big note of mine for this issue. And he recovers the files. And in recovering the files, he actually sneaks a peek at them. And there's some evidence in one of the files that floors Batman. And he's so taken aback by it that he actually misses the uh, mobster Santa Claus pulling a gun on him from behind. And I love this panel where the guy's just thinking to himself, Merry Christmas, Batman. Your last, but just as he's about to fire, potentially killing the Batman, this knife comes out of nowhere and smacks him in the hand. It's it's thrown butt first, so the blade doesn't hit him in the wrist. Which actually, I, I you know, I would have been all right with her actually yeah. impaling him through the wrist too. But she knocks the uh, the gun out of his hand with her knife, and it's the huntress to the scene. She actually saves Batman's life because Batman was so distracted by what happened here. So they talk a little bit and they decide to uh, go back to Bruce's place, which you can interpret that any way you want to. They actually leave the mobster Santa Claus behind, which I thought was kind of odd. And they get back to, uh, to let's see, this is the Wayne penthouse at this point, which I actually liked a lot. And I just noticed it has a giant wreath on it. That's actually pretty cool. So they get back there. Until it falls and crushes the <laughs> crushes that were singing outside of the Wayne Foundation <laughs> building that night. It was a terrible PR mishap. <laughs> so they get back there and uh, and he lays it out for her that he's found evidence linking his father to the mob. You know, Thomas Thomas Wayne, Bruce Wayne's father, and this disturbs him greatly. You know, what could be going on with this? So they decide to go see uh, Bruce Wayne's father's accountant, who actually still turns out to be alive. This guy named uh, Mr. Rudolph, who is uh, a very old man, and he's suffering. Does it ever say what he's actually? Emphysema. emphysema, That's it. That's right. And uh, they go and they meet with this guy. Bruce asks under the guise of just visiting his old his father's old friend to see some of his father's fa- financial records from about 25 years before and discovers that yes indeed uh Thomas Wayne had given money to Spur Sanders who is the mobster that is turning state's evidence basically saying that he bankrolled 
a mobster and was a criminal himself. And Bruce is just completely despondent over this whole thing. Mm-hmm. He really can't believe that it's true. So that they, so he and the Huntress uh, go and visit Spurs Sanders. God. The look of this guy is just goofy. I'm going to come back to that. Believe me, I had a big note regarding this guy, but I'll I'll come back to that in the notes portion. He's got like a green suit on, but he's wearing cowboy boots, and the and his slacks are tucked into the cowboy boots, (laughs) and he's got this cigar, and basically Sanders has not only the not only you know the evidence of the records but also a recording of Thomas Wayne saying, it's a deal, Spurs. I'll invest my money in your battle for the Gotham mobs, and you make me rich. So this sets Batman off, and he threatens Sanders, uh, who is taunting him with the uh, the reel-to-reel tape. So Huntress and Batman leave. Batman goes off on his own, but the Huntress follows him, and we get a recreation of the cover of Bruce Wayne stripping off of his cape and cowl and saying... You know, it's time for Batman to die. And this reminds the Huntress of when her father gave up being Batman after the death of her mother. Right. And we have this little montage sequence of Bruce uh, basically being a gloomy Gus, despite the fact that it looks like he's about to get a little red and green action with these two <laughs> girls. And just completely despondent, the Huntress is following him. Yeah, she witnesses the. Uh, well, actually, Huntress is tailing Bruce around for for whatever reason, and she witnesses the mob is going to hit the the Santa Claus guy that that Batman uh, recovered those files from and everything. They're they're going to take the guy out for whatever reason. Tying up a loose end is what it says here, and the Huntress comes out of nowhere and saves the guy, saves the guy's life. And Batman, or you know, rather Bruce Wayne, observes all this and thinks to himself, he's a criminal, but his son would have been shattered if he died, just as I was when my parents died. And then uh, Huntress catches up with Bruce, and they kind of compare notes. And this whole thing kind of puts Batman back into a detective mind. You know, he starts thinking about the Batman again and, and that sort of thing. And it starts him thinking about maybe the story's not completely resolved after all. Maybe there's more to the surface of this. And he really starts concentrating and and plumbing the depths of his own memory for, you know, some clue that can exonerate his father. And we're not made privy to exactly what it is, but something in his memory triggers and he says, that's it, that's it. And he, in a really great panel, in a really great uh, sequence he takes up the mantle of Batman again and he puts on his costume. He tells uh, Helena to put on her uh, working clothes as well. Here, you dress up like this and we're going to go outside together. (laughs) Exactly. And so there's a really nice panel of them swinging away together, you know, Batman and the Huntress and the Batman. (laughs) I love this because it, it, it's so subtle, but he actually comes down the chimney and back into Mr. Randolph's room and he lays it all out that he knows that Randolph set up Thomas Wayne, that he actually disguised himself as Wayne and imita- imitated his voice and everything on that tape. But what gave him away is that uh, Randolph has this nervous habit of tapping. 
And so on the tape, he could actually hear the tapping noise. And that's what gave him away as being Wayne in disguise. So uh, Randolph says something to the effect of, well, you'll, you know, you can't prove it. You'll never put me in prison. And I just love this, that for a change, Batman actually lets the criminal off in a strange way. But he says, as he's walking away, he says, take a look at yourself, Randolph. You're already in a prison because the man's dying of emphysema. And, you know, he's, you know, living this life that he's living and everything. But it's great. It's a really nice uh, wrap up to that whole thing. And, you know, no longer having, you know, no longer feeling like uh, Spurs can hold this over his head anymore. He uh, delivers the evidence to Gordon that's going to put this Spurs guy away. And again, there's a great panel of uh, the Huntress this time swinging away and telling uh, Spurs Merry Christmas Jailbird. And I just I really like the whole way this whole thing wraps up. And at the end of the story, uh, Helena and Bruce together as Batman and the Huntress go back to the Wayne's grave site. Only this time, you know, it's you know, there's the sun coming up in the background and everything. And, you know, there's snow on the ground and it's Batman renewing his vow. And he says, and I swear by your spirits to rededicate my life to warring on all criminals Merry Christmas, Mom and Dad. And there's a really nice border, you know, a, a left border to the panel that says Merry Christmas from the DC staff. And this thing is signed by like everybody mm-hmm. who was at DC at the time. I mean, it's amazing the signatures that are on this. It's it's really really cool. And uh, and that's pretty much it. It was uh, written by Mike W. Barr, uh, art by Jim Aparo, uh, Adrian Roy was the colorist, and Dick Giordano was the editor. And I think that this is just a fantastic, uh, you know, it's a it's a fairly simple and straightforward Batman story, but it just it gives me everything I like in a great yeah. Batman story. No, I agree. Uh, I had more notes on this than I thought I was going to have actually. <laughs> Uh, starting, uh, you know, I, I agree with you about the cover. It's an absolutely beautiful cover, so mm-hmm. we don't need to really go into all that again. Um, the, I agree with you about the first page. Jim Aparo's storytelling ability is so clear on this page. Yes. Because you, you get the sense that this woman's really sad that these orphans do not have adequate toys, so to speak. And, you know, getting the toys... Um, you know, from Batman was just like a godsend to her. And it would be really funny though, if all the packages just had a note in it that said, my childhood ended when I was eight years old, (laughs) get used to life being a cold disappointment children. I think it'd be funny if they were all bat related toys. (laughs) Um, on the, with the scene with, uh, Batman and Commissioner Gordon, it says, you know, now that Hamilton Hill Hills won the mayoral election, he'll see to Gordon getting fired. That actually happened because mm-hmm. Gordon was let go. And right around the time that Jason Todd appeared in the comics about a year after this, actually literally a year after this, um, Gordon was brought back as commissioner. And then the mayor brought in uh harvey bullock to watch over him Mm -hmm. so i like the fact that brave and the bold even though it's kind of its own little entity it's tying into the larger batman universe 
you don't have to know what's going on in Batman to get the Hamilton Hill thing. But knowing it, you know, me knowing it, that just it made me enjoy that little bit of dialogue. I have to admit, there was a little slash fiction-y stuff going on here in that last panel on page two. Because it's one thing for Batman to put his hand on Jim Gordon's shoulder. It's another for Jim to kind of take it in his own hand. And look at Batman kind of lovingly. And it made me uncomfortable. So <laughs> we're going to skip that. Um, my one thought <laughs> of Batman chasing Santa Claus was this. Santa Claus becomes part of the Batman's rogues gallery <laughs> when Jack Frost throws hot chocolate at Santa and it scars half his face. <laughs> <laughs> my thought on that was... Uh... You know, I thought Bruce Wayne grew up to be Batman because of witnessing his parents' murder as a kid. And so he swore to wage his war on crime so that no other child would ever have to suffer such trauma, right? <laughs> so I see where you're going. With will this. the children traumatized by the sight of Batman beating the sugar plums out of Santa Claus? What will they grow up to be, you know? That's all, you know. Damn near made me choke. Because <laughs> that first, I mean, it's awesome if you're not expecting it because you go from page four and then there's an ad for Bubble Yum and you turn the page and the first panel is Batman slapping the bejesus out of Santa Claus. Backhanding. <laughs> and Aparo's. He, he slapped him. Yes, he is. And, you know, and Aparo's punches and slaps and stuff, they hurt. I mean, yeah. he has Except a great... the karate chops. The karate chops I never really bought, That's... but the actual punches and the backhands I do. Mm -hmm. I, I, I agree with that. <laughs> um, I just imagine some, you know, like, if we could pan back about, you know, say, like, 20 feet and see all these kids at the mouth of that alleyway with their eyes Batman. big as saucers and tears welling up in their eyes as Batman, Batman takes down Batman, why, why are you eating Santa Claus, Batman? <laughs> Were you on the naughty list, Batman? Is this why your parents were killed? <laughs> How do you know that? And the kid runs away. Um, God, we had we did have to get that obligatory explanation on Earth uh, on the two Earths, didn't we? Always. Um, uh, I um, as much as I like the Aparo artwork in this issue, the Huntress looks a little off to me. I haven't quite figured out what it is. I think it's because when Aparo draws her, her mask sticks up almost... It almost looks like a tiger, not a bat, if mm -hmm. that makes any sense. But uh, I love seeing these two characters together. Yes. Mainly because Batman never really teamed up with his Earth 2 counterpart. Right. Uh, even before he died, when, they had, when, when the Earth 2 Batman was in a Justice League Justice Society adventure the Earth-1 Batman was nowhere to be seen. Mm. It was just the Earth-2 Batman and Robin, you know, like cheering on as Superman fought, well, I say fought with air quotes, Captain Marvel, because that was a big yeah. freaking disappointment, but we've talked about that before. Um, but it's really cool seeing them together. On the bottom of page six, the anguished look 
on Batman's face is really neat. Mm -hmm. Because you not only see it in the mouth, but the way the cowl is scrunching. You can tell that Batman finding out that his father may have financed a criminal just broke his heart. Um, Demoralized him. Yeah, I mean, this is... And it's really great to see Batman like this instead of him being, you know, a jackass. So it's why I like 80s Batman, 80s pre-Frank Miller Batman. Mm -hmm. Let me qualify that statement. A lot is because it's more of the Batman I would like to see. Uh, Page 7, I like Helena and Alfred having some interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, your Christmas cookie or cookies are as good as my Alfred's, if you know what I mean. That's kind of salacious, but I'll I'll keep now. Would her Alfred? Would he be the the fat Alfred? You know, I don't know. Alfred Beagle, yeah, the wannabe I, detective. I, I can't remember having seen him at all have we seen him at all since all-star 58 i can't remember us having seen an alfred no i i I don't think we have i I guess i just assumed that that alfred would be long deceased by this point right because he was freaking ancient when dick was a kid right yeah (laughs) um bottom of page seven we get the one and only panel that looks anywhere near romantic uh between Bruce and Helena and I'm kind of glad for that because that would just be creepy. <laughs> you know, if if Earth 2 had continued to exist, I wonder where this would have gone between these two characters. Cuz in a well, in a weird way it is kind of creepy, but then at the same way I kind of like them together to be honest with you, even though again, yeah, it is it's a little freaky, you know. Well, it, it, is it any it is slightly freakier than when they were trying to suggest that Dick Grayson and, and Helena were going to get together. Right. Which is like even more like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm 20 years older than you. Yeah, but at least um, in a case like that, they weren't actually related or anything. Now, yeah. now technically speaking, Earth 1 Bruce Wayne and Earth 2 Hel- uh, Helena Wayne are not related either, but, you know... He looks just like her. He dad. looks exactly like him. He's got the same name. He's got basically basically lived the same life. And I would imagine that on some sort of genetic level is pretty much the same guy. So yeah, you're getting into a really weird gray area there. But again, I I can't deny the fact that I kind of like the two of them together. You know, if if they had actually gone that route, I don't know that I would have I I, I would have objected. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I guess I can kind of see that. But it is kind of, yeah, it is kind of strange. Um, jumping to page 11, Spurs outfit just makes me <laughs> sad. It's like, I watched a lot of Dallas, and that's where I get my fashion sense from. <laughs> what, I'm wrong? I mean, the, the cowboy boots over the slacks. Well, do you, do you want me to run with my note on this? Sure. I saw this. Now, granted, I've read this issue a whole lot of times. So the thought of, hey, I've seen this guy before may not have carried much weight. But it really hit me that, no, I have seen this guy before. And you know me. I have, like, the world's worst memory. But for some reason, I I was actually able to pull it out and realize where I had seen this guy before. 
if you look at the cover to the uh, Outsiders, Volume One, Number Six, they're fighting a guy called, and I'm not making this up, the Duke of Oil. The Duke of Oil. It's oh, the my. same dude. I mean, there's minor differences, but for the most part, the cowboy hat, the cigar, you know, in in the side of the mouth, the cowboy boots. Even the outfit, and now the outfits are different colors on the two different characters, but pretty much, they're pretty much the same guy. And it was just, when I realized it, I was like, oh my God. Because the reason I kept thinking I've seen this guy is because they're both drawn by Jim Aparo. And I mean, they are, you know, you talk about Burn reusing, you know, stock people and stuff. I mean, this guy and the Duke of Oil are virtually the same exact character with minor, very minor. De- they could basically be like Earth 1 and Earth 2 counterparts of each other. You, you know what I mean? To, you had to bring up that name because now I just have Duke, 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 <laughs> Duke of Oil, Duke, Duke, well, One of these Duke states of we, need, we need to do another list of lame-ass characters because I think the Duke <laughs> of Oil could definitely make that list. Oh, you think? <laughs> 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 but I was I, so proud of myself that I actually realized, you know, who it was. Because, you know, rather than, than it just being like, ah, I can't remember. I actually could remember. And I thought that was pretty cool. Because, I mean, you talk about your obscure characters. Good Lord. Yeah, that is a that is a pretty damn obscure character, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, there... One, it makes sense because Mike W. Barr wrote The Outsiders, Jim Aparo drew it. So That's true. Back the same. But two, there's a certain charm to it as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, the character's lame, and I would never want to see him brought back because he'd probably be a pedophile and, you know, be snapping necks every five pages in the, the DC of today. But at the same time, you know, in 1984, Duke of Oil kind of worked. <laughs> If you say so. so. Bottom of page 11, I like the fact that suddenly Batman has an eyeball. (laughs) Because it makes that effect uh, a little better. It is kind of weird watching the Huntress crouch behind that uh, tombstone on page 12. But again, I, I like the fact... Just as sometimes I like to hear the name of a movie said by a character in the movie, I like seeing covers replayed in the issue itself. Mm -hmm. And, like, it actually means something. So, I completely disagree with Batman, though. Because he goes, I realize now that you're not the good, decent man whose death I've tried to avenge all these years. In fact, you're no better than the worst criminals I've fought in your name. To continue the Batman's career would make me as much of a hypocrite as you were, so I've decided it's time for the Batman to die. And to me, it would be like, you were a criminal, so now I have to use your fortune to make up for your criminal past. I, I guess I see that, but I don't know. I mean, for the for the dramatic purposes of this story, I don't know. I, no, I think I, ultimately I, I, I would agree with him that he feels like his entire life and career as as Batman has been a sham. You know that he mm-hmm. that that it was all built on a false pretense, and so why carry it forward anymore? Um, page thirteen. Uh, the Huntress remembers the death of her mother, which really. Even to this day, ever since I learned of how the Earth 2 Catwoman died, I think it's one of the saddest stories DC has ever told. Mm -hmm. 
Because not only was she forced to go back into a lot... You know, I just noticed that her skirt's riding up her leg. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, I should not get distracted by a <laughs> dead woman's corpse. Um, but not only did a criminal force her to go back to being a criminal, and not only did her husband doubt her for a minute, but then she died and he never had a chance to make up for that. That's just tragic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do get two different bat symbols for the Earth 2 Batman between two panels. Uh, in the first one, he's got the more rounded bat, and then he's got in the second, he's got the more um, angular bat, where we almost and we almost get an upskirt of the dead Catwoman. Very nice. That's classy, Jim Aparo. <laughs> uh, but I like the duality of both Batman walking away, and I I get to the next panel though, and it's just like Bruce is like, I'm so sad. I'm I'm at a party and I'm not having a good time. I'm sad. It kind of looks like Boomhauer from King of the Hill, actually. <laughs> which is kind of weird. But I do like the fact that the two women are pissed at him in the next panel that he leaves. <laughs> um, I like the Huntress saving the Santa Claus that doesn't have a bruise on his face, despite the fact that he got smacked around pretty bad. Um, but also, this exchange between father and son, gee, Dad, this is going to be the best Christmas we ever had, and you deserve it, son, for putting up with me. That's kind of sad. Mm-hmm. And then he tries to save his son, who probably wasn't the target. And what I love about this story is it's a great detective story. Mm-hmm. Especially from this time period, I could easily see this being a TV episode. Like, if, if Batman the Animated Series had decided to adapt this one, I think it would have been awesome. Yeah. Because it goes back to the accountant. Like, you think the account the scene with the accountant's a complete throwaway scene. And, all, and the only purpose it served was to confirm that Thomas Wayne was a criminal. But then later, it's just like, oh, that's a nice setup. Yep. And... I love Batman using his head and then confronting the guy. And I did not notice the first time I read this that he came down the chimney. <laughs> but that is awesome. But, you know, he, he leaves him. And that's a very Batman thing to do. Batman, I don't think, would take everyone to jail. Right. You know, he's not about the law. He is about justice. Right. And this is justice. But the saddest part of that scene is, Mr. Randolph, are you all right? Did you have an accident, sir? <laughs> and he probably did. He because... probably did, yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. If I'm sitting there in the middle of the night and a dude in a Batman costume shows up, I'm probably at least relieving myself in bed. So uh, I love the fact that when we see the Huntress confront Spurs on the next page, his his goons in the background are all helping each other to the get back on their feet. And you get the feeling that when she came in here, she just beat the crap out of every single one of them. <laughs> and he's in his uh, nightgown, which is kind of funny. But yeah, that last page, a little more romantic of a panel between Batman and Huntress in the middle there. Um, I do like the fact that we get a scene of a, a mother and a, and a father with their son, and they have uh, apparently Superman and Flash action figures in the background. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of cool. 
But it's 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 a it's a it's a nice page. I like the angels with the holly around them. And let's see, we got Jeanette Kahn, Joe Orlando, Dick Giordano, Paul Levitz, Carol Karen Berger, John Rosakis. I guess that's Bob Rosakis. Sh- Bob Rosakis. What did I, what did I say? John. John Rosakis. What? <laughs> Here is my uh, comic book fan card. It is yours. <laughs> um, Julius Schwartz. I don't recognize the next one. Murphy Mike Anderson, De- maybe? Uh, maybe. Uh, Mike W. Barr, Pat Bastian. I think she was uh, Dick Giordano's secretary. Uh, can't see the next one. Can't see the next one. Albert T. De Guzman. Wow, he worked for DC for a long time. Uh, what are some other really cool ones? E. Andrew Nelson, Helfer. E. Nelson Bridwell. Oh, that makes me sad. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Uh, Jack C. Harris, Andrew Helfer, Robert Kaniger, Todd Klein, Joe Kubert, Paul Kupperberg, friend of the show, Paul Kupperberg, I might add. Uh, Bob Layton, Bob LaRossi, Dave Manick, Sheldon Mayer, Irv Novick. Is it? Oh, Mo- oh yeah, interesting. That's cool. Um, no, that's Julia Schwartz at the bottom. Who is that at the top? That's a really bizarre... Yeah, that's a, that's a bizarre signature. I like Anthony Howard Chaykin, maybe. I don't know. Hmm. That, that is a really weird one. I like the fact that Anthony Tollins signature looks like the Action Comics logo. Yeah, that's, that's very really cool. cool. Um, Len Wein, Tom Ziuko. God, how long did Tom Ziuko work at DC Comics? Because <laughs> he was the colorist on Man of Steel. Irv Novick. Hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a ton of them in here, and some of these people aren't with us anymore. A lot of them are. Yeah, I know. Me too. So, but no, just I loved this story. Uh, I am so glad you decided to cover this because uh, because I loved it. But you know, the real highlight of this issue was the Nemesis backup. <laughs> yeah, right. Because uh, I'm telling you, man, that Dan Spiegel, his artwork just, I mean, it put Jim up. I can't go on with this anymore. <laughs> I got to the Nemesis backup and went, hey, issue over. <laughs> I'm really done. Thank you. We covered most of my notes already. I, I had just a couple others on pages eight and nine. Now, it, it doesn't come back at the end of the story where Batman reconfronts him, but on pages eight and nine, especially the last panel of uh, of page eight, I think Mr. Randolph looks like he should be played by uh, Bing Crosby. He really, really looks like him. Holding a sack of oranges <laughs> while he disciplines his kids. <laughs> uh, let's see. Now, I guess you didn't like this sequence as much as I did, but page 13, the the despondent Bruce Wayne, you know, trying to live his life without Batman. I actually liked this part a lot. Again, you know, I like like you said, I could definitely see this as like an animated episode. And this part would be the part that was, you know, had the really sad music that really tugged at your heartstrings is like, you know, now what do I do with my life kind of thing with with Batman? You know, I could see this being that that little montage scene that that went straight for the, you know, straight for the heart. Brucey. <laughs> but I like this part. I thought that was that was really interesting because, you know, you, you saw how this deeply affected him. Mm-hmm. 
in just three panels. I thought that was really, you know, very expertly done. Um, page 16, that last panel of uh, Batman and the Huntress swinging away, the ghostly floating head, that is totally, totally Joe Staten's Earth 2 Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. I like that. I yeah. like that a lot. I think that's uh, that's a remarkable piece of art. It's it's a Paro doing Staten, and he does it fantastically. I, I really liked that. Um, but yeah, that that's pretty much it as far as specific notes. I, I just I like the feeling that this story gives me because it is it's it's fairly straightforward. It's fairly simple without being you know kitty or anything like that. But it just this is so totally Batman for me. This is the the Batman the way I like him. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's lean and mean. He's doing his job, but he's not all, you know, dark and brooding. He's not all angsty. You know, he he's just he's Batman doing the job, being a detective, and uh, it's it's just a fantastic story. I really really like this one a lot, and I'm glad that we finally got around to doing it. And then no, it, it was really it was really worth it, and it's and it's a good Christmas story as well. <laughs> and you know we joked about the uh, we joked about the nemesis thing at the back of this, but you know this actually this episode or this issue does provide a beautiful little Christmas present for our readers, something that we have not been able to do in quite a long time. Yeah. Was it in your uh, your CBR? I'm not sure if it was. There is a hostess ad. No. In this issue. All right. No. All right. Then we're going to have to take a break so that yeah. you can find it online so that we can cover <sighs> the hostess ad. Oh, wow. We haven't done one in so long. <laughs> and Merry Christmas. <laughs> All right, everybody. Strap down. It's been so long. <laughs> we're a little rusty. Scott, you can be Aquaman, I'll be uh, Aqualad and the uh, bad guys. Ladies and gentlemen, we present Hostess Theater with Aquaman and the Pirate's Gold. An undersea explosion shakes the continent of Atlantis. Great guppies! (laughs) There's the cause, Aqualad. Those surface men planting explosives. You've got to stop. Your blast will shake Atlantis to pieces. Sorry, Aquaman. Our map says there's pirate's gold. Sunken treasure down here. Nothing you can say can stop us. What can we do, Aquaman? They want gold, and I know just what to give them. Shortly. Look, it's a treasure chest. And soon, at sea level... Wow, this is a real treasure. I'll say. I'll say. <laughs> you go, go ahead. I'll say. Hostess Twinkies cakes. <laughs> Who needs gold doubloons when we have these delicious golden sponge cakes? Let's head back to land and search for more treasure. Twinkie cakes on our grocery shelf. <laughs> say it, Scott. You know you want to say it. You get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Twinkies cakes. Okay, this one wasn't as patently stupid as the other ones that we did, but it was still pretty dumb. Oh yeah, uh, it, it it was it was no bat it was no pocket pool. But. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, what I like is the is the guys at the end of the story are like thanking Aquaman and Aqualad and waving to him. Hey, thanks that we didn't get any treasure at all. We got <laughs> Twinkies, and they're happy with that. Oh my God! Maybe they were hungry. I guess. I mean, if I'm hungry, a Twinkie looks pretty damn good, actually. I think uh, what it is, these guys are actually smarter than they appear. What they're doing, they're like, hey, thanks, Aquaman, Aquaman, thanks, we really appreciate it. And as soon as they swim, out, like, all right, get the explosives. They're <laughs> going back down and get to work again. Ten minutes later, Aqu- <laughs> Aquaman, Atlantis has been destroyed. <laughs> I'd love to help, but I'm caught in this tuna net. <laughs> it doesn't help that... Uh... Two minutes later, the uh, the men are rushing away. <laughs> the men are rushing away on their boat. One of them's counting money. The other one looks up and standing on the uh, standing on the outside of the boat is Superman. <laughs> so then the third guy comes up with a crowbar, hits him in the back of the head, and Superman says, "Bad vibrations," because. <laughs> <sighs> Everyone else calls Superman in to do their dirty work. I don't see Aquaman as being any different. I wonder who did the art on this one. Um, looks like Swan. Looks like Swan inked by possibly Coletta. I don't. I'm not sure because that definitely that Aqua Aqualad on uh, the fourth panel. That looks like a Vinnie Coletta face to me. <sighs> but I don't know. I know there used to be a website where you could look these things up, but I'm just too damn lazy to do it at the moment. But that's yeah, what this was all right. It wasn't. It wasn't horribly just mind-numbingly stupid like some of the other ones, which I actually like those best. <laughs> I was about to say. I mean, it would have been better if you know, Aquaman fought space rednecks or something. Well, I still say we should just make up our own at this point. So I, I think I think we could do a modern take on the classic Hostess Twinkies ad and make them hilarious. Like, I'd love to see, like, a RoboCop Hostess Twinkies ad. I think that could be hilarious. <laughs> Directive number five, always protect the delicious holiday sweet <laughs> Holiday whatever Twinkie cakes they have. <laughs> oh man uh, that was that was worth coming and doing the episode I mean the story was great but the highlight for me uh, the hostess we haven't done one in so long I miss we them. haven't we it makes me kind of sad it's a Christmas miracle <laughs> to do one. well Merry Christmas everybody uh, we also have another Christmas surprise for everybody we do. This story was reprinted. <gasps> That's right. In Batman the Greatest Stories Ever Told, Volume 2. 